0: But also I found setting up my own business, running my business and meet different people is really bring my own personality out of me. It become a real me.
1: Hi, I'm Jessica. And I'm Girish. And this is the Destiny Benders podcast, where we explore the impact of international education on the lives of students and professionals from across the globe. It's a podcast for international educators, by international educators, and about international educators.
2: And in each episode, we'll be meeting with Destiny Benders of our industry. We'll look beyond the job title and really get to know the people whose mission it is to change lives and bend destinies.
1: Our guest today on Destiny Benders is Dan Lu, Lu the founder and managing director of Educatus, and also a former colleague of mine at York St. John University in York. Dan Liu, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm so excited you're a guest. It's great to see you again.
0: Thank you very much for inviting me today. I'm very looking forward to just share my stories today as well.
2: Yeah, thank you, Dan Liu. And we you know we haven't had a chance to meet with this. the first time I'm seeing you, meeting you. So if you can just kick us off and, and tell us a little bit about your journey and where you came from and what led you to do what
0: you're doing today. All right, it can be a little bit long story, but I started with the very first, beginning. So I came to the UK in 2003. That's about 19 years ago. So I came to the UK as an international student, as many of the international students who came from China. Um, Before I came to the UK, I was working as an educational correspondent for a TV channel. Um, my first degree I did in China, which is uh, English literature. So uh, as many of the students at that time, we always thinking about to go to study overseas. It's a trend at that time already, back in 1990s, you know, late 1990s, early 2000s. However, um, at that time, my main target university is actually in America. So I applied to university in America. I uh, took the entrance exams. I applied, I got an offer letter, but unfortunately 9-11 happened. And then that stopped me why I didn't go to America. And then that's why I actually stayed in China, worked for uh, um, the TV channel. I always want to be a correspondent. That's sort of my dream, my dream job. And actually I want to be a war correspondent as well. I thought that's exciting. I like the bullets to fly behind me. And then that's so exciting and interesting. But um, yeah, after I joined the, uh, the 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 TV channel in China, I've been put into an education correspondent just because I can speak a little bit better in English than most of the people. And then uh, going study overseas at that time is quite popular; is a trendy topic. So we got a program called Study Overseas, and my main my main job is um, interview the people who work with, at British Council different uh, embassies, education sections, and then basically talked about study overseas, overseas universities, how they can prepare to go study overseas as well. So I worked for two years and then uh, um, I thought maybe it's time for me to go as well. I talked long enough, two years. And then that's why I came to study, chose to study in the UK. And one of the main reason is I thought master's degree in the UK is only one year, short and sweet. And it doesn't have that much financial pressure. I know UK education system is a little bit better because of my job. So I applied and then came to Leeds University, did my master's degrees in communications there. Yeah, that's how I came to the UK initially as an international student. But at that time, I was still feeling... Mm, I want to do educational, I I want to do communications studies Mm. and I want to go to carry on working as a correspondent in a Mm. maybe central China television or somewhere. And that was quite exciting. However, when I finished my degree and then got a chance to work as a marketing manager in one of the language schools here in Leeds, and then that's actually embarked the whole journey, works in the international education sector and the work as an international marketeer or recruiter. Started from there, worked for the uh, language school for about three years, then moved on to a further education college as an international recruitment officer for about another three years. Then moved to York St. John where I met Jessica and I there. I was there for about six years. And then I left in 2016, start my own business. So putting short, that's yeah, that's how my journey like for the past 19 years here in the UK.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, your story is similar in some ways to others in that you were an international student and that's how you initially came to the UK. Um, and started working in international education that, you know, that's that's a, a path we've seen. But it's really exciting that you worked in the field at the university in further education, and then you left in 2016 and started your own business. It prompted you to start your own business because you were inspired, I guess, by the work, the international education work that you were doing. So tell us a bit
0: about Educatus and what it is that you do. Since I was a little... Uh, I remember I wrote a diary when I was in high school. I said, I really want to become a businesswoman in the future. I still I, I, I said to my children as well, I said, when I wrote this down, I literally have no idea how I can become a businesswoman in the future. But I know I want to become one. So I thought I wrote it down. Who cares? Mm-hmm. No one's gonna read my da- diary, but that's what I want to be, what I want to become. So, in mm-hmm. fact, even though I work in a university or college for many years, I always, always want to find an opportunity to start my own business. I'm always looking. And in, uh, in 2016, the reason why it made me resign and left my previous work is, I think, it's probably the, the same issue faced by many international recruiters who are travelling all over the world and being a woman and a mother as well. Back in 2016, I, had a, I have a two young children um, who is about... I think one is about four, the other one is two years old. And with travelling internationally, you probably have to spend about three to four months overseas with two young children at home and they're getting tougher and then tougher. Um, For the whole 2016, I was thinking I need to find a new job. I need to move on and do something which doesn't require travelling that much. But I think many people probably have the same issue as well. You look around. You found the whole experience based on international, no matter you do international education or you do the international marketing, is a similar role. International traveling has to be a part of the job. And I found it's quite difficult to not do international because I love that as well. If I'm not doing international, that's not me. And I love education. I probably i don't know very much anything else apart from international education working in the university or recruit students and uh, 2016 we got uh, a opportunity which is um we managed to get a little bit investment uh, from the co-founder of tencent uh, who invested in a business called tomato education international which is the head office uh, based in, in beijing in fact um we have a business plan business ideas yeah and then we're quite lucky we got half million pounds investment from the co-founder of the 10 we start this platform which is to help the student booked student accommodations here in the UK and then uh, it's Everything started in about October two thousand sixteen, and then I was appointed by the uh, Tomato Education International as a UK. We got the, I got this job title called the Chief Marketing Officer, but more like working as a consultancy basis, help them develop the business here in the UK. So this is opportunity. made myself made decided. Okay, I have this opportunity, so I can happily resign I left my work at York St. John University and start a new journey. So when I joined Tomato Education International, um, I also set up educators as well at the same time. So basically I run two business, the parallel, and that's how make made me left my previous work because I think it's a really good opportunity. So in terms of the educators, the business mainly focus on the UK boarding school. So at the moment, we work with about 200 UK boarding schools. And we work as an educational marketing consultancy company. In a way, uh, part of the business is quite similar with uh, lots of recruitment agencies. So, so we give the advice and place them into the UK boarding schools. However, we also have a different streams of business running alongside the student placement. Um, we have a, a division for the uh, uh, social media. So we have a team of uh, staff member to run the social media platform for the UK boarding schools as well. So many UK boarding schools, they want to develop their China market and they want to have the market presence, especially on a different platform, for example, WeChat or Weibo or Red Little Book a little red book. So um, we'll help them to develop the digital marketing strategies. We'll have a team of expertise doing that. Um, but also uh, uh, we we'll help some of the UK boarding schools set up, set up their China offices as well. It's a little bit like local representatives. So it's similar like what I did before for the universities, develop their markets in the target countries. But also we also have a um, uh, part of the business we we'll do a tutoring. For the uh, for the students as well, so that's basically what education uh, educators business what it look like. But it's actually evolved from the very first beginning. We we'll have a few students and place them into UK boarding schools, and gradually grow to to the size and then the services we offer today.
2: Well, that's exciting, Dan. Lui. As a fellow entrepreneur, I, I resonate with some of the work that you're doing and the things that we do. And I know the journey can be. Um, challenging right Mm -hmm. first get started but i want to go back to something you said you said you had a tough decision to make about leaving international marketing recruitment because of kids at home and it was kind of becoming challenging talk a little bit more about that because you're not the only person in those shoes Uh, a lot of people i know and particularly i think this impacts women more uh, who are in the business, and our field is heavily, you know, women-dominated. And, and and when they get into those uh, situations where they have to make some decisions, how was it? How challenging was that? As you were considering that and going, man, I need to give up something that I absolutely love, but I also have a commitment and a family that I want to commit myself to. So maybe tell a little bit more about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, for working in the international or working in the education sector, especially the international sector, we can see a lot of women. Is a uh, more women dominant rather than men dominated industry. However, interestingly enough, from my own experience, maybe it's not true. I see lots of people, male, who are in the senior position rather than female. I think it's for international marketeer or international recruiter. When we first start, when I first started this role, I was so excited because I was young and to be able to travel all over the world on behalf of the university, meet different people. It was an amazing job. I cannot think about any job better than this. I absolutely loved every single piece of the job. Even the jet lag, you know, and then we probably all have a different story being on the airplane, got different issues as well. I think we all have a loads of stories to tell. But even though I love it so much, until I had children, because at the right age and then I, I love children. So I had one, then I had a two. And after I had my daughter, uh, one of the problems I had is uh, I got this fear of flights. I suffer this very much. It affects my job so much. Um, I think it's one of the reasons is because I worry about my children, and I don't know being on an airplane for seven or eight or ten hours, what's going to happen? I think it's um, affect my um, mental well-being for quite a while. I was doing absolutely everything try to just overcome this. Um, eventually, will ease off, and I have, but during that period of time, is so hard and so difficult. I think there's one thing I found is quite difficult after I had um, my my daughter, my second child. After I had my son, I was absolutely fine. But just after I had my daughter, I had this really, really badly. But the the second thing I found is um, while I was pregnant, while I was on maternity leave, I missed quite a lot of opportunity. For example, you can get promoted or you've got different um, potentials develop a new market. When I come back from maternity leave, you probably notice that some people probably started the work at the same time as you. They already promoted to be a manager or even director. And I, I just had a fresh start straight away. I probably even not get my desk in the same office. I've been put somewhere else as well. So it's quite upsetting. I think it's just because we gave up time uh, to be a mother. And then to, to have this mother duty, but we have to give up in terms of the career and the work as well. It's upsetting, but this is reality. You want to have something, you want to have children, then we have to give up the career as well. And then the next one would be, I, I, I found that this international traveling, as I mentioned, is is really demanding as well. As you, you, you know, so for, for me, I originally from China, and then my main market would be, Uh, Far East, Southeast Asia, or South Asia. After I had my daughter, I remember my markets used to be India. And for that vast country, normally I spend about two to three weeks per journey, um, per trip, to visit different cities and then to meet partners. That means two, three weeks, I I can't see my children. And then when they were really, really young, it just became really, really difficult so yeah, mix all of this, I think I have to find some opportunity to make it change because otherwise it just it just cannot work because I put too much pressure on my partner. and at that time we we're quite lucky we got a nanny at home, but nanny never the same as the mother or father. So I think that's that's the time I found I have to make change. But I believe not only me having this problem. I think many people, especially as a woman, uh, you want to have a family, or especially women who have children or who just become a new mom, we all have the exactly the same problem, and we have to find a solution how we be able to overcome it, and uh, how maybe we be able to work as a full-time mom and look after our career, but at the same time look after our children. Yeah, considering combine all of this. So that's why back in 2016, I think I have to think about how I'm going to make this change. I tried. I, I tried to work with the headhunters, look for different jobs. I went for job interviews. It just didn't. Yeah, I wasn't very successful. Um, But as I said, I was lucky. I got the, the opportunity to, to move on. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: It it resonates with me what you're saying, because I don't know if you remember this, but when I was at York St. John, the reason why I left is because I had my second child and went back to work and was immediately supposed to go on a three or four week trip to India to do student recruitment. And I just couldn't do it. I could not face it. And rather than that, I I said, I've got to find something else for myself and and, and a new career and a new job. And and so, yeah, so like you, same reason left York St. John. So it really resonates with me. And do you feel the satisfaction from setting up educators? Do you feel like you've gained from it everything that you were hoping
0: to? Yeah. One thing I found is setting up my business I sort of fulfilled the dream, which is I wrote down in my diary many, many years ago when I was in high school. It's really exciting. It's a new journey. But also, I found setting up my own business, running my business, and meeting different people is really bringing my own personality out of me. It become a real me. Previously, working in the university, I loved every single moment of the jobs. But I found working in the office, that sort of environment, office politics, is really difficult. I'm not that sort of person-person to can kind of deal with office politics. However, working in this um, business environment, I thought, I'm in this free land. I can negotiate the deals, and I'm very good at it. I can work with different schools. I can talk about the business. I'm really thinking, you know, back in 2016... I sort of started realize, yeah, I got potential. I can do things well, and I actually I believe myself I can do well. So it, it's a challenging, it's very challenging running my own business. I got a lot of flexibility, which just means I can control my hours somehow. If my children ill or if we're we'll going on holidays, I can arrange my time however I want to. However, I do have to travel. I travel within the country. Normally before COVID, I travel to, I'll be away from home about two nights a week, average. Uh, but on short trips, it doesn't really that matter. And I think, especially my partner, he's very get used to, I'm away. Sometime two, three weeks or one or two nights is, is absolutely fine. Um, but I do have to travel overseas as well um, because I actively recruit and lots of business running from mainland China and Hong Kong. So I do travel, but I do have the privilege to be able to bring my children with me if it's coincident with their school holidays. If not, I would just go there for one or two weeks, very short and come back. So it's all manageable. And then I think the mindset, the feelings are different because I know this is good for my own business. I have to get it done. So the feeling is different rather than, oh, I have to go on this trip for three weeks. So I think that makes the difference as well. But I think running business, my own business, there is a lot of positives, flexibility. I can control my own time. I spend more time with the families. But I do work long hours as well, because sometimes I know if I can work extra two hours, I probably can make business generate a little bit more profit. But there is no limit. I think that's the problem. And then to learn, become because the business grow since 2016, and as I mentioned, we have a few different teams. We also got office in China at the moment. So rather than running a business on my own, I have to learn how to manage people, which is I didn't have that sort of experience very much. So I'm now trying to think how I'd be able to manage people, become a good manager or leader, inspire people, make sure they all work efficiently, think about accounts, what generate more profit, what's not, how I think things are slightly different now. But it's exciting. This business excites me all the time, I love it. Again, I love every single of it, but it does really, really tiring as well.
2: I know what you mean. I can see the excitement on your face when you're talking about your business. You know what they say: entrepreneurs are those who are willing to work 80 hours a week, so they don't have to work a 40 hour work week at <laughs> the yeah. job else. <laughs> And that's so true. Uh, for yes. entrepreneurs. I know what you mean. Um, you know, so we talk about destiny benders and destiny bending moments uh, on this podcast. And listening to you, it almost appears that that 2016 timeframe when you made that decision was a big destiny bending moment for you. Uh, so I'm kind of curious to hear about that. But more importantly, people, who, who was it during that time that was kind of there to kind of help you make those decisions and who maybe you consider uh, kind of helped change your life or bend your destiny? And in the same vein as the work that you do now. You just talked about your staff and being a leader. Do you find yourself in a, in a position where you're bending other people's destinies or changing lives?
0: It's an interesting question. Looking back, I think it's every single step of the journey. We always have somebody there to influence our decisions. I think that person can be one, can be two, can be the family members, or can be something you watch or saw on the television. I think that's really important I mean, I want to go back a little bit further because uh, the reason why I want to be an education correspondent is because the whole family, we work in this sort of area. i always inspired by my own family members who work for the newspapers or magazines as a journalist. So I always want to become one. And after I become an education correspondent, I got the opportunity to work in the international education field. I still remember this person. Uh, I'm not sure if I could mention the name or not. He used work for British Council for the the managed business in China called Andrew Disbury. I interviewed him in 2001. At that time, he talked about international education. He he talked about the UK education system. I still remember I borrowed a tape from British Council, which is the showcase the few UK universities, including Oxford, Lancaster University, Leeds University, however for Leeds University it mentioned the communication studies so that's why mainly me chose Leeds University and the study communication studies but looking back now probably they paid quite a lot of money to the British Council to be showcase all this tape and then you know get promoted and across the country at that time I think at that time I think this person definitely helped make my decision I want to go to UK and which university I should choose. But along the journey, I think when I was working for further education and then then move on to York St. John, the those people, either my line manager or my colleagues inspired and thinking, this is what direction you should go. And then how you are gonna move along? I mean, when I was working at York St. John, as Jessica mentioned, she left a couple of years, few years before me. I think that movement inspired me as well. You know, we don't have to be in one place all the time. If it's a situation change, let's think about outside the box. You could move on. There is many other jobs you could do. I think there's many people sort of will help us to to make different decisions and inspire. I remember when I was back in 2011, I think I traveled to Cambodia. Uh, on behalf of the York St. John University. And at that time, Cambodia just opened up to the market for UK education. It's very unfamiliar in terms of UK education. And I went there. I remember, Jessica, you, you recommend Cambodia as a potential market as well. I was going to say, I remember you
1: going on that trip.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And then I, I've been to Cambodia a few times and there was a, um, a couple of girls who work in the agencies we worked with. And uh, um, there is one particular girl we still have contact with. Now she lives in the UK. Uh, She got married, she lives in the UK, and uh, she keeps telling me, Danu, you inspired me, Uh, I want to become you, Um, because, you know, you're from China, you're Chinese, you work in the UK, you come to visit Cambodia on behalf of UK universities, so you give me inspirations. What I want to say is along the journey, there is loads of different people to give us different inspirations. And then we're always looking, I think, be a, be a good leader or manager or entrepreneur or staff member or manager, whichever. I think we should have this sort of like horizon or we need to look out different people can give us inspiration and set the target and move on forward. I think that's really important. It's difficult to say who is this person. There will be many, many, and they give us sort of ideas, inspirations as well.
2: Reflecting on what you're saying, and I was, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about my journey too, right? About the different people that come into your life on both sides of the coin. Um, so it's absolutely incredible to kind of hear that resonate with you as well. So in your current role. Um, As you see the changes in international education, you you came from wanting to be a war correspondent, which you probably could have a great career right now with all the strife in the world, to now educating people and giving them an opportunity to change their lives. Where do you go from here?
0: This is a good question. Um, I'm ambitious. I always want to grow the business. I have the target, which is how I want to grow the business in, in that sense. I mean, since COVID, and the landscape changed dramatically. Uh, however, I think the demands are still there in terms of international education. We're always talking about this is a global village, you know, there's a freedom of more movements and there is lot of people inspired by the UK education. They want to come study here or they want to go to study in America, Australia. So uh, because at the moment, our business mainly focus on UK boarding schools. Um, putting that away, because we've been working in the, I've been working in the UK higher education so for a number of years, how they do in the marketing is very advanced. And they have a local representatives, there is lots of different fairs, and they have a staff members who will be able to speak different languages, Then they be able to represent the university in different countries. However, in the UK boarding school sector, the feeling I got is a little bit like behind mm-hmm probably about 15, 20 years behind in terms of what marketings look like. Hmm. Yeah, whoever listened to this, probably you will find that there's quite big marketing opportunities that lie in the UK boarding schools. Why I'm saying that? Because um, uh, unlike UK universities, you, you can set a target number for each country, 200, 300, even 1,000, 2,000 students. For some of the universities I know, they recruit between maybe one to 3,000 students from China. If for, for low-ranking universities, maybe you can recruit about two to 300 universities from China. So the volumes are big. So that's why they can invest heavily in terms of the marketing, because the investment returns very good. However, in the UK boarding schools, probably each boarding school we're talking about recruit five to 10 students from each country. And some of the schools put a cap on the top of the nationality because the reputation about UK boarding school is the dynamic and the, the authentic UK education. So they can't really invest heavily in terms of the marketing. And in terms of that UK boarding school industry is very different with UK higher education Is they don't really understand the market well enough compared to UK uh, higher education. So that's why what I'm trying to do is I, I work quite closely with, uh, for example, the um, British Boarding School Network, help them, give them the information about social media, some marketing information, and then the main aim, what I want to do is I want to help more UK boarding schools to be able to develop marketing in China and then become, for example, maybe provide a lunch pad for them. I think that's the way to be able to drive the whole business going forward as well. But also, um, we're doing quite a lot of educational type of work in China to tell people what the UK education system looks like. We all understand undergraduate. We all understand postgraduate. Very straightforward. But Jessica, you have children studying in this country. You know how complicated it can be. What's the key stage one? What's the key stage two? What's the GCSE means? What's A-level? How to choose the subjects? Can be very confusing. And then not many people know about it at all. Even people who live here found this really confusing, let, let alone for the people who live other country. So we at the moment for our business we work with a lot of business partners and individual clients in China to educate them, make them understand the education system a bit better, but also we're trying to help more UK boarding schools to launch themselves in, in China as well, but at very low cost, make it affordable and viable. So I really want to drive this further along the way and then be able to just introduce more schools to the
1: market. That makes a lot of sense as as a way forward. I completely understand. I struggle myself with the UK system. And when I was working in Texas, you know, trying to explain to my Texan colleagues about UK higher education and well, UK education system in general was really hard. What's the GCSEs, and can they go to university just with that? Do they have to do A levels? Ah, you're going to stay in international education. I think, as Girish said, your passion is clear. It comes through. You know, this is the future for you. You're we you, you mentioned Lottie, your daughter, and. We've talked about women and just the maybe the struggle that we might feel a little bit more strongly than men, certainly in leadership positions and senior leader positions in within higher education. Do you aspire to be a role model for Lottie? or, I mean, I'm sure that you do, but how do you fashion the things that you do and and how you are in your business to show her this is what you can do. You can be like
0: Mommy? You know, it's really interesting. I never actually told her, you know, look at mummy. I'm running my own business. I will be your role model and then do whichever you can do, like what I do. I never, I never said those in words. However, it's interestingly enough, she sees me doing things at home. I'm on the phone calls. I'm in the meetings. I'm typing things. And she got her own keyboard, which is broken keyboard I had before. And uh, she got a piece of cardboard to pretend that that's the screen. And then she can sat that and then type. Um, and then she got one of my really old uh, older phone, um, broken phone, pretend that she's on a phone call. I think it's just the influence. The influence she got by seeing what I'm doing as well. And I have a son as well. And I can tell compared personality-wise, she's a little bit like me, which is I never on purpose told her. You know let doing an important job and then uh, you can be entrepreneur in the future i never told her that but i think that's influence and i think that's how we're influenced by our own parents as well in some way the family influence as well um but i think she for my daughter she has a very clear goals she wants to be a scientist she's very very interested in science so interested in science so I don't know if she will become scientist or go further along to do biology or chemistry or physics or something. But I'm happy whatever. what it be. I mean, I just literally before our podcast, I was talking to one of my friends and talk about how to choose schools for our children in terms of the GCSE A-level university. And I said, you know, my son keeps telling me, mom, I want to go to Leeds university because I can come home for lunch. It's fine. Equally fine.
2: Priorities it is, it you happy. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I mean, I think you're right. Kids do see what you're doing and they imitate you. And my girls have done that many a times. And they pretend they're on some business call or and I'm doing all kinds of funny imitations of what I do. So I'm sure, Jessica, you see that too with your kids. I was going
1: to say, actually, no, not <laughs> no, with no, my boys. No, yeah, voice. It's, they, I think they they have no clue what it is that I do and they don't actually show much interest in it either. So, <laughs> so I try to lead by example. So hopefully it'll be awesome. I'm
2: sure they're subliminally getting that message. They always do. Oh, this has been great. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, we wish you the very best as you go through as we kind of wrap things up i don't know jessica if you had anything else you want to ask her no but,
1: i think we're um, ready for our quick fire yeah. questions dan lu so this is how we <laughs> normally end our
0: podcast all right i'm feeling i'm getting a little bit nervous with these quite quick fire questions
1: <laughs> So it's really simple. I'll go ahead and start. We talked about your travel and I I would like to know what three things do you always take with you when you go on a trip? And I'm not talking about your phone or your laptop, but three things that you like that have to go with you every time.
0: Earplugs has to go with me. It's so important. Passport, of course. <laughs> My makeup bags I have to take with me. Keep <laughs> me fresh.
1: You know what I always take? I always used to take, when I traveled a lot, one of my son's teddies with me, so that I would always have it close by, like a little, you know, feeling of him.
0: Oh, you remember? Yeah, uh, after I had a lotte, when I go on trips, I always take one of her bunnies with me. And uh, I have it with me on the airplane as well, and which is people look at me really weirdly because that's only one thing can make me feel much comfort. I cuddle this all the way. I remember there was one journey. I went to India. I have a I have that bunny with me all the time. The gentleman sat next to me and looked at me a bit, yeah, she's a bit weird. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Here's a grown woman with a little yeah. uh, bunny. But I
0: always pack a book. Always a packed book. I found it's quite important. Just just keep me entertained and um, keep me going.
2: So it sounds like you've traveled quite a bit, particularly in Asia. Uh, You know, you mentioned Cambodia. you mentioned India several times. Any place that's your favorite in that part of the world that you are just dying to get back to and things go back to normal?
0: I want to go to Cambodia. It always has a special place in my heart. I think it's one of the reasons the people I met, they're, they're so nice. And we still keep in touch after so many years that I left my previous job. But also I think it's kind of really nice, cute and a cool place as well. And some of the area has not been developed properly back to about 10 years ago. I haven't been there for quite a long time. But it's just a magic. I love there. Um I think the reason why I love that maybe just the people I met there are so nice. Yeah.
1: Okay, last quick prior question. You mentioned you always have a book on your travels. What book are you reading now or what book have you read most recently that you could recommend?
0: Let me think that. Oh, I can't remember the name of it. I have a book with me. Let me find it. This is a book I'm going to read and I'm going to take with me, which is The Peach Blossom Spring, uh, which is a wrote by uh, Melissa Fu. I haven't read it yet, but this is a new book I got. Uh, it's really interesting. Uh, the One of the books <laughs> I read most recently is like How to Keep Fit. I can't remember the name of it. How to Keep Fit. I love it. <laughs> it's a keep, keep fit book. Yeah, uh, it seems... bit, but, yeah it is it is sorry i'm a bit rubbish with all this uh...
2: no not at all <laughs> this was made this was makes it like real right this is real So yeah it's okay but, uh, yeah deadly it was such a pleasure to meet you and i've never met you before so it was such a pleasure but it's so inspiring to listen to your story and...
0: oh thank you so much thank you i hope you found the story interesting <laughs>
1: I did, and it was just lovely to see you again and to catch up, Denlu. It was just really, really great. Thank you so much. Next week, we speak with Christina Thompson, Director of Partnership Development and Diversity Initiatives at Barcelona SAE and founder at Compare Global Education Network.